Well, we can take a seat as grades four to six make their way to the lobby to study God's word. And let's, let's pray as they depart. Lord Jesus, you are the God who comes. Come to us now by your spirit as we hear your word, that your presence now would prepare us for your coming again in glory to make all things new. Amen. Well, as we've seen, we come once again to the season of Advent, the Christian New Year. Advent simply means coming. And during this season, the church calls us to consider the threefold coming of Jesus. He came in history in weakness. He comes to us now by his spirit, perhaps most especially in word and sacrament. And he will come again in power and great glory. But the primary focus of Advent, I must say, is not preparing for Christmas, but preparing for Christ's coming again. Our Lord's return is one of the central articles of our faith. As we just stood and and proclaimed, week by week we stand and confess in the creeds, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. I always find Advent Sunday to be a little bit jarring Uh, as the readings appointed in the lectionary are, they're intense, especially our gospel reading. Last week, uh, Phil mentioned that we'll be taking a break from our series in Luke, and we'll be reading two of the passages appointed by the Book of Common Prayer for each Sunday, which means that in the midst of putting up lights and decorations and opening little doors that have chocolates inside, you know, we come to church and we hear, the sun will be darkened. And the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken, and that at that time people will see the Son of Man coming in power and great glory. So we have Mariah Carey on the radio and Apocalypse in church. (laughs) It's an interesting contrast. But though it is jarring, I think it's good for us to hear of the consummation of all things right at the beginning of the Christian year because it helps to orient us from the get-go to God's ultimate purpose. It's important for us to learn of the end so we know where we're going and, and how we can prepare. So as this is the Sunday of the eschaton or the last things, I thought it might be helpful for us this morning before we look at our text, and we'll do that, But I thought it might be helpful to do just a little brief rundown or summary of the Christian understanding of the end or what's going to happen uh, when Christ returns and makes all things new. So as Christians, we look forward to four things. Number one, the return or second coming of Christ. Number two, the resurrection of the body. Number three, the last judgment. And number four, the new heavens and the new earth. So very quickly, number one, the return or the second coming of Christ. Our Lord promised that he would return this time not to die for sins, but to judge and to renew. And in our gospel today, Jesus is very clear that nobody knows the day or the hour of his return. So if someone claims to know, frankly, they're full of it. But at the same time, and kind of paradoxically, Jesus says that as we know summer is coming when the leaves bud on the trees, so there will be certain signs of his coming. 
So he says, nobody knows when I'm coming, but there'll be signs when I'm coming. And scripture lays out a number of these signs, and I'm going to run through them here in point form. I probably have missed one or two or three of these, and if I have, you can tell me at the end. But here we go very quickly. Here's a list of kind of signs that are going to accompany Christ's coming from the scriptures. Number one, the preaching of the gospel to the whole world. Number two, the acceptance of Christ amongst the Jewish people. A mysterious return of Enoch and Elijah, the two witnesses. The great apostasy or falling away of the faithful. The coming of an antichrist figure. The persecution or tribulation of the church. Disturbances in the natural world, earthquakes, fires, etc. The passing away or melting of the heavens, which is an interesting one. The sound of the trumpet and the sign of the Son of Man in the heavens. Now, these things, the order of these things, the chronology of these things, the exact interpretation of these things is a matter of much debate amongst well-meaning Christians. And I'm not going to give you the one orthodox understanding on these things because, frankly, there isn't one. But these signs are in Scripture, so we need to take them seriously. There's also the matter of the hundred or thousand-year reign of Christ, or the millennium, described in Revelation chapter 20. And more stupid fights have been had over this in history than many other things. But just very briefly, and you might be going like, this is, this is a lot, and it is a lot. But just very briefly, premillennialists believe that a literal thousand-year reign of Christ on earth will occur after Jesus returns. Post-millennialists believe that the kingdom is advancing and will reach a kind of perfection in the millennium before Christ comes again. And all millennialists interpret the millennium symbolically as this present church age between Christ's ascension and his return. But I want to tell you that the church in its councils has never pronounced definitively on these things. Never. Here's, here's also kind of a relieving thing. Justin Martyr in the second century, he was an apologist. He had a really good approach. He himself was actually a pre-millennialist, but listen to what he says, says to his buddy Trifo about these things. He says, I admitted to you formerly that I and many others are of this opinion and believe that such will take place, as you assuredly are aware. But on the other hand, I signify to you that many who belong to the pure and pious faith and are true Christians, think otherwise. Isn't that refreshing? It's like, oh, okay, okay. So what a great example of how Christians ought to be unified in essentials. That is, the creeds that we say together every week. As Christians, yep, stay tight on those. But on all these other signs of his coming in the millennium, there's lots and lots of, of, of room to have different views. Okay, so we have the return of Christ in power and great glory, accompanied by the signs of his coming. Secondly, we have the resurrection of the body. The resurrection of the body. Acts 24, Paul says that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says, A time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. So Christ is the first fruits. So as Christ rose from the dead in his body... So there will be a general resurrection of the, the righteous and the wicked. Thirdly, and here's where things get challenging. 
those who are raised in the body will be judged. This is the last judgment. I'm going to read from the Gospel of John. Very truly I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not come under condemnation, but has crossed over from death to life. Truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. Paul talks about this too in his letters. Those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, Paul says, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. Now, you might be saying, Grady, it's, it's the beginning of Advent. Do you have to talk about this stuff? Do you have to talk about wrath and judgment? And do you have to mention this stuff? This is uncomfortable. Can't we just light the candles and have a nice little service? You're wearing your Mr. Rogers cardigan. Let's just go with that. <laughs> Let's just stay with that and keep Jesus as a baby in the manger because it's nicer and, and it, we don't have to talk about judgment. I got to tell you, I take no delight in mentioning judgment from the scriptures. In fact, I'd rather not do it. I'd rather not do it. And every time I have to mention it, I, I kind of get worked up and, and sweaty. But as your pastor, I have an obligation to tell you the truth. I know I'm new here, but you've been placed in my spiritual care. So if my message to you is that stuff in Scripture about judgment, don't, don't worry about that. It doesn't matter if you choose Christ in this life. How you live now isn't important. Everything's going to work out in the end. Or even if I just don't mention it, if I only mention kind of the good stuff, like I could say, Jesus is coming to make all things new, which is true. It's absolutely true. But he's also coming to judge the living and the dead. And if I leave that out, then I'm doing you a disservice, and I'm actually not loving you. I'm not teaching the whole counsel of God. I'm not telling you the truth as we find it in Scripture. So I have to say to you in love, according to scripture, there will be a final judgment because God is just. And if we have a sense of justice in us, you know, that we long for things to be right, that thing in us is appealing to the justice of God. So the scriptures indicate that those who turn to Christ, who let go of their sins and receive forgiveness, who are justified, who receive the Spirit, who are conformed into his image, who are empowered to love God and love neighbor, will rise to life eternal. Those who reject Christ, who keep hold of their sins, who refuse forgiveness, refuse to be justified, who reject the Spirit, who choose selfishness to the end, will die in their sins and rise to judgment. Now, Many questions arise out of all this. Uh, many unanswered questions. I have many, many, many unanswered questions about what I just said. What about those who never hear? Uh, what about this? What about that? 
I'm not going to answer those questions. I don't have the answer to those questions. Let's get together and have coffee. Let's talk about it. But Jesus is coming as judge. So we have the return or the second coming of Christ. We have the resurrection of the body. We have the last judgment. And finally, we have the new heavens and the new earth. And thankfully, this is a joy to preach. Listen to St. John from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. By the way, the sea in Scripture is a symbol of chaos and danger and death. So in the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no sea, means there's not going to be any way to drown. (laughs) And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with human beings. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That's our blessed hope as Christians, the new heavens and the new earth. So there's a quick rundown of what Christians have historically believed about the final things. So with that as kind of the backdrop, I want to briefly look at our readings today and and ask how they serve to prepare us for these things. First, our gospel reading. Well, there's a lot. (laughs) There's a lot in our gospel reading today, but I'm going to focus on our Lord's exhortation to stay awake. Stay awake. He says, be on guard. Be alert. And then three times he says, keep watch, which could be translated, and the ESV translates it as stay awake. Verse 34, 35, and 37. Stay awake, stay awake, stay awake. And when Jesus says something three times, that's his way of saying, this is really, really, really important. So he's exhorting us to stay awake. What are we to be awake to? Simply put, The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. And he's calling us to prepare. I couldn't help but think this week, as I was preparing, that current worldly ideologies have adopted this language of staying awake. We've heard this before. Stay woke, right? That language has a long history, but it has been recently employed by some on the ideological left, and it's increasingly being used as a pejorative by critics on the ideological left. Right. It's shorthand for being awake to social inequalities, especially through the lens of critical theory and intersectionality. But the ideological right uses different language with a similar meaning. They speak of being awake to a perceived progressive agenda in government and culture and mainstream media. Now, all of that is a whole can of worms, and I'm not going to go into that right now. Uh, But what I want to get into, what I want to get at, is that being awake in strictly worldly terms, whether on the right or on the left, doesn't matter, misses the mark on what it means to be awake from the perspective of the kingdom of God. In the Christian vision, Jesus is returning, and he is the judge. Ultimately, he is going to correct all the injustices in the world. He's going to make all things right. He's going to call everyone to account. The Christian vision understands that, yes, there are serious 
injustices in the world. But the source of these injustices is ultimately in here. I think Taylor Swift got this one right. It's me. <laughs> I'm the problem. You like that one, Mary? Mary's going like, oh, no, oh, no. Dad, please stop, please stop. Not only my individual sin, of course, but human sin, including mine, including mine. No one is righteous, no, not one. All must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Thankfully, Paul teaches that Jesus went to the cross to show that God is both just, he dealt with sin on the cross, he's just, and he's the one who justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. So the, the cross is the place where justice is done and administered to those who have faith in Jesus. He bore our sin in his body on the tree. We get his righteousness and he gets our sin. To stay awake then in light of his coming is to make sure that we are right before God, which is, acknowledges our own sinfulness first. We see the plank in our own eye, right? And secondly, yes, to love our neighbor as ourself. So as Christians, what are we to be awake to? Jesus is coming. Amen. And how do we prepare? As justified and adopted sinners, we love God and love our neighbor by grace. But not just the neighbors we approve of. Not just the neighbors we deem are entitled to our love. As Jesus teaches in the parable of the Good Samaritan, our neighbor is anyone, anyone within our reach or our sphere of influence, including our enemies, including those who disagree with us, including those with a different opposing ideological framework. What worldly ideologies do, and I'm picking on left and right here, so don't, you know, don't nail me, is, is they, what they do is they take Jesus out of the picture. Jesus isn't coming to judge. He's not coming to make all things right. Therefore, it's up to me. It's my job to bring ultimate justice to the universe. And the source of injustice is not in here, human sin including mine, but out there. It's unjust systems if you're on the left, and it's, you know, uh, big government and mainstream media if you're on the right. And if I'm not part of the problem, I now have the right and even the responsibility to call out and morally police anyone's words or actions that might not fit into my chosen ideological vision. In other words, I become the judge. Like the Pharisees, I neglect the condition of my own heart, and I'm looking out there to, for those who fail to live up to the expectations of my worldview. Now, you may have noticed that keeping this kind of thing up is not only hypocritical, it's also exhausting. It's exhausting. But there's such good news for the exhausted this morning, and that's Jesus is the judge. He's the one who's going to make all things right. He's the one who's going to call all to account. And thank God, he's the one who makes us just as a free gift. And though it seems from our perspective that he is delaying justice, he is coming. Peter says in his second letter, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise to bring justice, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, 
but everyone to come to repentance. Now, because Jesus is the judge, does that mean we're off the hook in terms of our responsibility to our neighbor or that we stop pursuing justice, mercy, and reconciliation? Absolutely not. But it does mean that we participate in his kingdom as his subjects. We love our neighbor, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, shelter the homeless, visit the sick, visit the prisoners, bury the dead, give to those in need, not from a moral high ground, but as forgiven sinners justified in the blood of the Lamb. And as Christians, we do this. We act in love towards our neighbor. We pursue justice and mercy, as we're called to do. But, we, but Jesus says we're not to do it to be seen by others, to signal our moral greatness, or to appear awakened to this or that worldly viewpoint. Jesus calls us to do it quietly, even invisibly, out of gratitude for what he has done. He says, when you give to the needy, what does he say? Don't let your right hand even see what your left hand is doing. Don't do it to be seen by others. Do it out of obedience to your heavenly Father who has been so good to you, and he will reward you. So it's actually a great relief that Jesus is the judge and we're not. Our job is not to be him, but to carry out his calling for us in the advancement of his kingdom. And you know, we all have our different assigned roles according to our gifting. Listen again to Jesus' parable from today's gospel. He compares himself to a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task. Each with their assigned task. So not only are we not the judge, our particular role in the kingdom is going to be different than other people. We all have a responsibility according to our calling, but none of us is responsible for doing it all. Thanks be to God. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist is calling people to repent. I always find this passage fascinating. John the Baptist is just a terrifying figure. You know, he's wearing camel hair and he's eating locusts and he's got... You know, he's got locusts in his teeth and he's got scraggly hair and he's calling people to repent. But what he actually says is surprising. Right? He's calling people to repent. The Messiah is coming. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Then people ask him, what should we do? And then John answers with something very simple. If you have two shirts, give one to those who doesn't. That doesn't have a shirt. If you have lots of food, give to those who have less. The tax collectors ask him, what shall we do? This is fascinating to me. John the Baptist looks at the tax collectors and he doesn't say, leave your job and go do something that's much more noble in the kingdom. He says, don't collect any more than you are required to do. <laughs> don't cheat. Then the soldiers ask him, what should we do? Again, he doesn't say, leave the army and join the Peace Corps and do all these kinds of things. You know, go join Greenpeace and not that, you know, if, you want to, if that's your calling, that's your calling. But to the soldiers, he doesn't say that. He says, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. <laughs> that's what it looks like to repent in the light of the coming of the Messiah. Be, be obedient to the Lord and be content. Live a kingdom life in your station according to your gifts. 
In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus doesn't call each of his disciples to revolutionize all of society overnight. What does he say? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. That is the people that are in your sphere. All the people in your little sphere. Love those whom God has placed in your sphere of influence. So if you're a stay-at-home parent, for example, and you think, oh, I, I'm, not I'm not out there pursuing justice. I'm not, I'm not working for the kingdom. <laughs> you, man, are you ever working for the kingdom. You've got these little people here that you're loving with the love of Jesus. You're modeling the kingdom to these little kids. You are loving your neighbor in your sphere for this moment in your life. And other moments of your life is going to be different. But for now, this is what you're called to. And that's good. It's so good. It's so good. So if we are ex exhausted today from putting ourselves in the place of the judge or the renewer of all things, whether on the perspective of the right or the left, let's hand over final justice and renewal to Jesus. Let God be God. And let's follow him by grace. Listen to his words to you and me. Actually, Rob... Uh, Rob prayed this this morning as we were preparing for our service. But by worldly justice standards, they're impossible to keep up, right? Listen to what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Remember, this is the judge talking. This is the character of the judge. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So that's the gospel. Now I'm going to spend another 45 minutes talking about the epistle. No, just kidding. Uh, just, we're going to conclude by looking at the epistle today. We conclude by looking very briefly at our epistle from 1 Corinthians, and this text is all good news because it highlights the fact that even our staying awake, even our ability to stay awake is a gift from God. It's not of us. Listen to Paul's words again. As you eagerly await for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. He will keep us to the end. He will make us blameless through his death and resurrection. He is faithful when we are not faithful. He has called us into fellowship with his son. It's all of him, and it's all of grace. Here we have one of the classic Christian paradoxes. We must stay awake for it is God who keeps us awake. <laughs> what a Christian thing to say. Stay awake, for it is God who keeps you awake. What a comfort that is. We must stand firm, for it is God who will keep us firm to the end. Or to put it in Pauline language, that we just cannot resolve, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. <laughs> oh, that's such good news. 
God will keep us to the end. So I hope that's some comfort for us today. It's God's work, and he's, he's called us to join him in his mission of goodness and justice and reconciliation according to our gifting and according to our little spheres. We need grace for this, so let's pray for grace, and we're going to conclude today with praying the call for Advent just one more time. So I invite you to, to, to bow your heads as I pray this. Almighty God, give us grace to cast away the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now in the time of this mortal life in which your son Jesus Christ came to visit us in great humility, that in the last day, when he shall come again in his glorious majesty to judge both the living and the dead, we may rise to the life immortal through him who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.